0: Galatians 5 says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Verse 4, For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, then you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit being in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring each other, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Father, would you quiet our hearts, calm our hearts? Or God, maybe we're tired and you need to wake us up. I pray that your Spirit, God, would speak through your Word. And we thank you for your Word. We know that we need your Spirit to illuminate it. God, may my words be your words, God. May your spirit illuminate those, not only that we would hear, but that we would recognize what you are saying and that we would respond to you because you're with us and for us and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the, in Los Angeles, California in 1984 that uh, that city got to host the Summer Olympics. And on August 11th, there were 12 athletes that were at the start of the women's 3,000-meter final. But the world knew that it was really just a two-woman race. It was the United States versus Great Britain. It was the hot favorite versus the virtual unknown. It was a 26-year-old woman named Mary Decker with a string of world records and yet no Olympic medals She was too young to compete in 1972, a long time ago. She then was injured in 1976, and then the United States, maybe some of you remember, boycotted the Summer Olympics in 80. And so this had been a long time coming, but the world believed, and America certainly, that this was her year. The unknown was an 18-year-old lady named Zola Budd, she was South African, she was actually a barefoot runner who caught the attention of Great Britain because earlier that year she broke a world record in the 5,000 meter final and it was actually Mary Decker's record by six seconds. And so South Africa was not going to be able to compete in the Olympics because of their policy on apartheid, so Great Britain's media caught the attention, caught this attention of Zola and fast-tracked her citizenship, and in just two weeks, they processed that application, and she got to run for Great Britain, much to the midst of the South Africans and many of the people from Great Britain. So as the race began, Decker led the first half of the race, this pack behind her, with Boud in the lead of that pursuit. That lead pack caught up to her on lap three, and Decker and Boud ran side by side, for that whole leg of the race. When they entered turn 4, Boud made her move. She started passing Decker, but Decker was not willing to let it go so easily. She had wanted this for her whole life. And so side by side they ran. Then after they came around turn 2, Boud took the lead. She got almost a body length ahead of her as they came around turn 4. There's this now this pack of four runners going neck and neck, booed with the lead. But you could just see, and and you could just see as they were going, something was going wrong. There were some missteps that were happening. And suddenly, we're not sure quite what happened. Well, actually, they've been studying it for years and years and years. But Mary Decker tripped or was cut off and fell, collapsing in the race, tears running down her face. Bood had the lead for a while, but then fell back to a seventh place finish. What has been called the fall for years and years and years is referred to to by these two women as the incident. When asked, when upon, actually on that day, the media and the officials turned on Bood and they disqualified her from the race, saying that she did cut her off, but only the next day to be reinstated, saying after watching tape all evening, she did not cut her off. It was simply the fact that in a distance race and track, some of you might know this, you do not have to stay in your lanes. And so they had four people sharing a lane and a half and just got tripped up. But in the moments that were after, Bood actually went over to Mary Decker and tried to apologize for the incident, and she said, don't bother. It would be years later until Mary Decker was able to say in an interview about that race, the reason I fell, some people think she tripped me deliberately, but I happen to know that wasn't the case at all. The reason I fell is because I am and was very inexperienced at running in the pack. Do you know how to run in a pack? We've been talking in this series about the reality of Jesus' resurrection. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and broke free of sin and broke free of death actually changes our lives and it gives us the power to break free from the life that we live, from the things that hold us captive. And so the reality of breaking free is that we're already free. The door to sin and the condemnation that comes with it is like a prison that's opened up, except many of us, we sit in that prison cell with the door wide open because we are believing either some lies in our heads or believing that we are unwilling to step out into whatever that would be because freedom can look scary, especially if we've been in some kind of a prison for a long time. We've talked about the lies in our head, the lies that tell you to achieve or to please others. We've talked about breaking free from our past or our religious duties or the barriers that divide us. And today we looked at a scripture that said that Christ has set us free, but we must take our stand so that we don't have this yoke or this harness of slavery put back on us. And then the scripture said, you were running such a good race, who has held you back? Or or the NIV says, who cut in on you to keep you from living and obeying the truth? And today I think there's two packs that, um, or two groups of people, if you will, that the, the writer of Galatians is talking about and warning us about, that we have to be aware of as we run through the pack of life. Now, the pack isn't just church, it's actually anywhere that you run, any places you go, any people that you hang out with, the people you work with, the people in your home, the people you go to school with, the places and the people that you run into or run to throughout your life. That's the pack. Some of these people follow Christ, some of them don't. We're not called to run free and solo. It's, it's like a great commercial, it sounds really smooth. But we are not created to do life alone. We are created to be in a pack, to run in community. And so, I think the first pack that we have to be aware of and watch out for, because we'll look at two of them that the writer talks about, and, and then we'll look at what we can do to overcome them. The first pack I'm just going to call Team Effort. Okay, this, is a, this is the runners, the pack of people that would, that would pride themselves on the ability to overcome obstacles. They're, they're people that believe that any lack of natural talent can be made up for with hard-earned skills, sheer determination, and perseverance. And these, these are attributes that I think most of us want in life. They're attributes that, that get us further in life. So it's kind of hard to imagine why team effort, if you will, why this pack of people would actually be in opposition to what it means to run in the Spirit by faith. See, effort is a really great thing, except when it's opposed to faith. Now, Philippians 2 says that we should continue to work out our own salvation, effort, With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His purpose. That's actually not faith. That God works in us is His righteousness. It's what Jesus has done, is doing, and will continue to do. And so, what happens is that people think unbelief is the opposite of faith. In June, we're going to talk about um, issues in our belief, in our, in our believing that make it difficult for us to really live that out, but also for the next generation to actually see it make a difference in their life. In one of the first weeks, we're going to talk about doubt. Doubt might be described as unbelief. We'll talk about that next time. But unbelief is not the opposite of doubt. Unbelief is not the opposite of faith. We all believe in something and then seek to live that out. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. It's trusting in my efforts to succeed or survive, not trusting in Jesus. Self-reliance replaces Jesus as the object of my faith and then I trust in what I can accomplish, I can acquire, I can define, or I can control. And the reason when Zola Bud, Boud, excuse me, came up, to, came up to Decker to try and apologize for what happened, she said, don't bother. She had given up her first marriage. She had given up years of her life just to try and win this achievement. She did not want anything to go wrong in that moment. Uh, BBC uh, told, said last year that these two women had a reunion after 32 years, and they talk about this. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but it's a documentary called The Fall, and um, the differences between how these two women responded are just astounding. But it it reminds me that this effort thing this pack, if you will, is something that we constantly are going to bump into in our life. Even if we are trusting Christ, there are going to be moments in our lives, in our weeks, in our days, situations where we're going to bump into this and we're going to choose, do I choose to trust in what God is doing and what Jesus has done, or do I trust in my efforts? 1 Corinthians 4 says, The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. So where in your life are you inviting the Holy Spirit into your daily efforts? And where have you separated those two? Thanks, Kate. There's a balloon flying around in case you're listening online. We're totally distracted by it. Well, the second pack of runners, if you will, the things that we run into aren't effort. I'll call them Team Ego. Team Ego, there's a myriad of runners that run in Team Ego. They like to run their own way. They like to set their own pace. They use the pack as it suits their efforts. It suits where they're going, but they're constantly competing against or comparing with the rest themselves with the rest of these kind of people in the world. People who might run in the pack of Team Ego say things like, I just need this win. I need to either satisfy myself or I need to have this success so that I can be recognized. They say things like, I'm going to make this happen. I need to control this situation. They say, I'll decide if this is good if this is life, if you will, or if this is bad, if this is evil, it's that desire to define what is good and what is evil. And finally, I think the maybe the biggest thing that people that run in this pack of egos say, how about you run your race and I'll run mine? It's this idea of Autonomy. We bump into this all the time as well. Just like effort is going to be something that we're going to have situations that come up in our lives where we're going to desire to put our own effort or take control of that. Ego is the thing that's going to bump into us where situations or circumstances are going to come into our lives and act like an electromagnet that's just going to pull us towards self. It's going to pull us towards self-centeredness. You'll hear it in... Um, oh, uh, one of my kids came home and said one of their coaches uh, was really mean to them. And when they confronted this coach on it, this person said, "Well, I'm really mad about the election," as if that gives her the right to treat these athletes less than she should have. But but those emotions pull us towards self-centeredness, and any of us are. I'm not. Judging the coach. Any of us have a chance at doing this. Um, it's a, this situation that comes up that says, What am I getting out of this? And you know you're getting pulled towards this pack of ego. When, when your hope gets replaced by hype because you're so worried about the success or about what people are thinking about you. Constantly thinking about what I want, what I don't have, what others are thinking about me. And Galatians 5 says it really clearly that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. It goes on to describe some of those results. Some of them are desires of the body. Some of them are desires of the heart. Some of us would be tempted to think that Those desires are really separate from our spirit, but our whole life is integrated. Mind, body, spirit, they're all one. Those things that happen to our body can't really be separated from our spirit. And if we really think about it, I think we know it's true. The sin nature is that part of us, our will, our mind, our emotions, where it pulls us away from God. Maybe another way to say it is that that when we live to please ourselves instead of pleasing God, this is the result. And he goes on to describe envy, lust, rage, things that tear us apart or pull us into pleasures. Now, I want you to know God is not against you having some pleasure, you finding pleasure in a relationship or an experience. Or even a possession. The thing that God is against, if you will, is, is really the fact that ego isn't satisfied with having pleasure in that relationship, experience, or possession. Ego is thinking, am I having more satisfaction? Am I having more pleasure? Am I having more fun than the next person? Think about it like this. If uh, your neighbor drives up in a shiny new black car or, you know, one of your friends and, and you look down all of a sudden at your 140,000-some miles on your uh, well-loved vehicle and then you catch a whiff of something in the way, way back and you start thinking, hmm, I wonder how he got that. I wonder how she got that. And then you start scrolling, you know, the, the websites to look for that new car and you start dreaming about the new car smell. This might be This sign that you are getting pulled towards not just being satisfied with what you have, but really wanting something more because someone else has more. Or maybe that's not your thing, so you open up Instagram and you see good friends having pictures online of their exotic vacation. Maybe it's in the mountains or the rainforest or, you know, like a nice beach. A scenic ocean view and all of a sudden you start looking at your bank account and you start seeing what's coming in and what's going out and how there's more going out than coming in and you can't decide what to cut and you start going, how did they get to afford a vacation like that? Or your best friends build a dream house and now all of a sudden you're scrolling Zillow to find out what your little fixer-upper is worth and maybe you go over onto a local realtor's website and you start thinking, man, if they can afford it, I should be able to too. See, in all of that, in every one of those cases, what we're thinking about is what we lack. And the Bible describes this as scarcity. Now, scarcity mentality was made popular by Stephen Covey in the seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he describes it like this, is the idea that life is one big pie, and so if somebody gets a bigger piece, it means there's less for everybody else, including you. So scarcity thinking is just thinking about what we lack. But scarcity was, was founded long before Stephen Covey. When the serpent says to Adam and Eve in the garden... Did God really say that you can't eat from this one tree? Surely he didn't. See, God had given this delight. That's what the Eden means, this garden of delight. And they had relationship, perfect relationship with God and each other. Nothing that they would put between themselves. They could be naked and unashamed, if you will. They had all... Everything that satisfied them in the garden. They had purpose. They had work. They could cultivate good things out of the ground and out of each other. This was literally heaven on earth. And just in that one statement, all they could think about was what they didn't have. Till it came to the end of them. You can be a prisoner to just about anything. Whether it's the pack of effort trying to have recognition or reward or respect through being good or doing good. Or whether it's ego trying to satisfy your own desires with pleasure or power or possessions. But either one will actually just cut you off and they will rule your life. Some of you know this. And here's what I'm learning even if you break free of those packs, they're never too far away. Just like in real track, even if you think you're about to lap them, they'll just, you'll just run into them again. It's something that we constantly have to be aware of, asking God's Spirit to be a part of that, to live, help us live our lives. And so that's what I think for how we can overcome these packs, if you will, how we can overcome these things that will keep bumping into us, our own efforts or ego or some sin that is a part of our life. First, we have to let the Spirit lead. Galatians 5.16 said, walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit. Then you won't gratify the desires of our flesh or the desires of our sinful nature. I like how the message says it. Uh, That translation says, live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feel the compulsions of selfishness. And Jesus constantly challenged his followers to live and give freely and abundantly without fear that there won't be enough of whatever, of anything. So I think part of what that means for letting us let the Spirit lead is that we are Thinking about and thankful for what we have, not what we don't have. I know it's shocking, right? Ann Voskamp in 1,000 Gifts says it like this. People think that being uh, joyful makes you grateful, but being joyful isn't what makes you grateful. Being grateful is actually what makes you joyful. When you think about what you already have, all the things that God has given you, you don't think about what you lack, So if you're kind of skeptical, realist, what this might mean is that you're not ignoring the challenges of life. You're just changing the way you think. So if you have small children, God bless you. But um, there were these times where young kids, they wake up in the middle of the night, and they want to sleep in your bed. And you're like, no, you can actually go, oh God, thank you so much for this... Little child that you've put me in charge of, and I pray, God, that you would comfort them. I pray that I wouldn't wish this season of life away. If you have a coworker that's just annoying the snot out of you, you can go, Oh, God, thank you for a chance to learn patience. Truly, it's a gift of the Spirit, changing the way we think by letting the Spirit lead. But the second way that we can transform our lives, that we can overcome these packs, if you will, is to let the Spirit be Lord. Not only let Him lead, but let Him be Lord. Because uh, 2 Corinthians three seventeen says, Now the, Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, I'd like you to say this with me. All right? So it's right up there. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Think about that. We have freedom wherever God's spirit floods. And we don't find freedom where we block the spirit, where we keep the spirit from flooding. Wherever God is leading, we'll find freedom. The verse could say the Lord is the spirit and wherever The Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. And if you feel like that sounds like surrender, would you realize that God created us, and he created us to be under his authority. So he designed us to live that way, and it might feel like surrender because, well, it kind of is. But in that surrender, we're not giving in or giving up. In that surrender, we're actually finding the freedom that God promised all along. So maybe there's an area of your life where you know that you want freedom and you've been imprisoned by it for weeks or months or years. Then I would lovingly say, how's that going for you? Managing that thing, that attitude or that behavior. And please don't see on my face that I'm angry about that or I'm judging you. Just know the intensity that I have on my face is because I want better for you just like I know God wants better for me. And I think Jesus would lovingly put his arm around me and say, hey, Rob, how's that going? Or do you think I could maybe do better with that thing? And when we turn it over to God, it doesn't mean we're giving it up. might mean we're giving it up, but it does mean we're giving up control of it. It does mean we're giving up management of it, but we'll find freedom. Tim Dates shared a vulnerable story in News and Notes about how he was drinking, and he was using it to satisfy or distract him from other issues in his life. And so finally, after years and years of years of his own admission, where that was really just resulting in anger and frustration, he said, okay, God. If you don't want me to do this, if this is not glorifying you, give, give, let, here, take the desire away to get drunk, to do this. Gone. Gone. Freedom. His wife said, he's a different man. Now, it has way more to do that with just giving up drinking turning his life over to the Holy Spirit, letting the Spirit lead, letting the Spirit be Lord. But if you want full freedom in your life, then you have to give God full authority in your life. And I don't think we like to do that. What's the area of your life where God might be speaking to you that you need to give him a little more authority or you need to give him full authority? Trust me, you will find freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Whatever it is, let Him lead. Uh, as before, the man comes up. I'm going to have Chris and Becky come up because I think there's an area of our life. There's lots of areas of our life where you could find podcasts, you could find churches, you could find books, you could find yeah. Come on up. Where um, God, people have explained how God's word speaks to a certain situation X. Come on up. And yet, the one that we're going to talk about today is one churches don't spend much time talking about. And that is letting God be Lord over your finances, applying faith to your finances. And this is not because the church needs or wants your money, this is because God wants freedom. For us so guys, Chris and Becky we've had several people actually who've seen God transform their faith in their finances, but how did this work out in your life this especially this verse where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." How did that
1: idea of freedom work out in your finances um, I guess uh, to start off that part of the story, I guess um, looking back on several years ago um, We were in a place financially where we were not like super deep, like horribly, awfully, crazily into debt, on the border of bankruptcy, anything like that. That was not us, praise the Lord. Um, But at the same time, also did not have any real strategies, any real wisdom, I guess, in approaching those. And it was through something offered here at Restoration several years ago. I think it's been three, maybe four. Jacob's nodding his head. Yes, he was a part of the group also. Um, But through a program here called Financial Peace University, which will be coming up later this summer again uh, for the first time in a while, we finally had those strategies. So that way, rather than being at an okay place and going to a worse place, uh, we were in an okay place and going to a much better place uh, because of being able to put that uh, lordship over our finances and getting some very specific strategies and different ways of doing that.
0: Nice. Nice. Now, one thing I read online was that... uh this this guy posted a comment like, "We actually talked about our budget and didn't get into an argument." Like, what a radical concept! So, uh, either one of you, do you want to talk about how your finances worked before Financial Peace University?
2: I got this one. I got it. So no my, shame, by no the way. Shame. There's no shame. So we
0: can be honest Ooh. here
2: because this is our church pack. Our right? This is our pack. Um, so, before, Chris said it really well, we didn't have the strategies, but we weren't clueless. You know, we had um, seen our parents manage their money pretty well, but we didn't really get a lesson. And I don't know about you, but we didn't have a high school experience where they really sat you down with like a budget worksheet and explained technical words like net worth, a Roth IR, what? I don't know. Um, so financial peace gave us those tools, but prior to that, you know, we wanted to be good stewards and we were tithing and we were doing things, but there was always this strain, um, and financial peace gave us the tools so that we could identify even like our personalities as far as money. Mm. So we found out like who was the financial nerd, which is me. No shame. I love like notebooks and I use a pencil with an eraser. Um, and I like to see the lines add up and make sense. And then you find out who's the financial free spirit, just who wants to flap their wings and fly and just do what, yeah. Um, And then you realize, yeah, and you realize that maybe your budget meeting shouldn't be an hour and 20 minutes long, if you're the nerd. Maybe your budget meeting should be like 20 minutes long, so the free spirit doesn't just melt and crumble in front of you. so these Where things the are, spirit of
0: the Lord the is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Wow. So go we, home with that. So we
2: had the option to really just com- kind of come together in a community, um, be transparent, and get the tools we needed to then go home, and you still make it your own. So please don't think this is like a very rigid, prescribed approach, but you would take some tools and um, based on the season of your life, know how and where to apply them. Um, but man, our budget meetings, we've had one ever since the first class. Oh, and I gotta, t- can I just, can I go off road for a second? Okay.
0: Oh, we've you been be doing free this spirit right now? For,
2: I'm gonna go into the free spirit mode for a second because I have to celebrate with you guys. We've been doing this for a couple years. Okay, more than a couple, a couple few. Um, and we've, we tithed through the whole thing and we gave to charity through the whole thing. And this summer besides our house, because that's a separate thing. We're going to be debt-free, y'all. And that can be you. Um, it's, we're both teachers, so it's, a, yeah, like, just process that for a second. We're both teachers. So we've been ha- doing this program and working this with teacher incomes. But we know that we've given we've given our careers to the Lord, and and that's what we're called to do. And now we could do the same with our finances. So, um, if this is something that's interesting to you, please, its info is in the um, handout this morning. But it's it's just a cool opportunity to be part of of a class that's Christ-focused, but also giving you some great tools.
0: Excellent. Now, um, June twenty-first, I think will be the first something time today. this happens. But well, we don't want to waste. Chris and Becky and Brian and La Laluzerne are going to uh, be our leaders for this. We don't want to waste their time. So in the next couple weeks, if this is something that you are interested in, would you please just let the church know? I believe that information's also there. You know, one of the stats that they said on their website was that the average family sees an $8,000 financial turnaround paying off $5,000 in debt and saving $2,700, they say in the first 90 days. It sounds like you guys have experienced that, maybe even if it wasn't in the first 90 yeah. days.
1: Say the timeline is probably a little bit different, but we definitely, because we have strategies now, because we have a plan, it's we are controlling where our money goes rather than the money at the end of the month, what's left over, here's what we can do with it. Uh, so by pre-preparing pre at the beginning of the month, Uh, It's very freeing to be able to do that and to Mm -hmm. say when something comes up, uh, whether it's a missions opportunity or hang out with students at Caribou or something like that as part of my job, uh, that there's money available to do that and we don't have to be scratching and scrounging for it. Um, But that Lordship piece has become so important in that because it's just opened up so many more possibilities that weren't there before. So yes, part of it is paying off debts. Yes, part of it is that, but it's also about what else can we be doing with this Mm -hmm. money when we're not paying debt, we can be doing more kingdom oriented stuff, uh, and that just brings such great joy to both of our hearts uh, for the different ministries and stuff that, like you said, the different jobs that we're called to do uh, that we're doing here in Minneapolis area thanks guys, yeah. that is beautiful
0: and I hope that you hear again, this is not about more money for the church I, I used to think that and, and people would, would give me accolades for, wow you guys give 10% of your money to God and um, The reality is that it's all God's. And that's just been where God's been convicting me, is that exactly how you said it is how I want to live, where it's all God's, my time, my career, my money. And sure, I give to a church, I give to charity, I give to these opportunities, but I give because I'm asking God and inviting God into the process. So thank you guys for being a part of the class. Thank you for explaining what it looks like just a little bit to put and apply faith to our finances. Can we pray while the band comes up? Thank you for a few extra minutes, friends. Lord, you say where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. And God, we want freedom in our lives. We don't want freedom to be autonomous. We want freedom to be in community with you and each other. And I thank you for Chris and Becky and the ways that you're transforming their lives and their faith and their, their hearts and their finances. God, how it is looking to be generous people without the fear of feeling shackled, God. That's the life that you called the disciples to. That's the life that Jesus lived. That's the life that I want, and I pray that that would be the life that you would offer us. And so God, Holy Spirit, will you just show us where we are holding back in our lives where we are trying to manage something on our own. It may not be finances for us. It might be some other sin, some other behavior, some other attitude, some other thing that's not even inherently evil, God, but is distracting us from running this race of faith in the joy and the power of your Spirit. So God, would you speak to us right now? about what that might be, about where we might need to turn over that authority to you. Because we want you to save us and lead us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.